Get dirty balls here, Simon. Come out now and fight. You need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. Be a dog. Whatever happens in leash, it's always a scandal. Why do you think that was? Probably because we're always drinking and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's no smoke without fire. That goes to light. I met Tomas O'Shea one day and he said, I'm sick of that northern crowd. He said, if they went set dancing twice a week, we'd all be set dancing twice a week. I can remember a lad, Jay Booth, right? And he was getting sick, right line like that, <laughs> looking at me like, and I'm going, this is not helping me here. Every man, woman and monkey in me all is, is nearly right in the mouth. Shake the bucket! That's it! All right, you're very welcome along to this week's panel. Up for discussion today, we're talking about the disappointment of not making the Lions, our hurlers and footballers who don't cooperate with the media missing a trick, and why do teams panic when they're on the verge of winning a big game? Joining us on the panel this afternoon. And again, Francis beaten in the lineups. Your Francis will not be pleased about that one pit season, I can tell you. Yeah, so Neil Francis, former Ireland second row, leash footballer MJ Tierney and sports journalist of the year, Ewan McKenna, who's a regular here for whom, unfortunately, there is no commentary of the Thai under-14s or whenever it was you played your last... Under-16s. Under-16s was your last game. Yeah, very good. Uh, I, I, I think that was Stephen Jones doing that co-commentary, Neil. The, that sounded like him and it sounded like he was enjoying himself. Yeah, he was more very than nice. I was, anyway. One of the, it was against Japan, apparently, but uh, one of the, the best athletes and one of the fastest second rows in the history of the game. Can't, can't disagree with him. <laughs> uh, MJ, how are you doing? Not too bad, Jerry. You? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm going to start with Rory Best, actually. So uh, let's have a listen to this. Here he is talking with BBC Northern Ireland this week. After I, I think as the week has gone on, uh, it's fair to say that it was um, a controversial enough omission from the Lions squad. Uh, Wales, Richard Hibbard, and both uh, of England's hookers, Tom Youngs and Dylan Hartley, were the three hookers selected by Warren Galland. Have a listen. Uh, no, there's no sort of advanced call everyone watches at 11 o'clock we happen to be training and I suppose I just got got wind of it by the fact that everyone was avoiding me and no one was making eye contact with me and as the session went on and we got further past 11 it became more and more obvious that it, that it wasn't happening and eventually sort of think Dan too he just came up and shook my hand and just said look commiserations and you know, that, that was just it you know I suppose you knew because like people don't avoid you when it's good news and um, okay it, it was bitterly disappointing now it really was I left training and went home and we spent the afternoon with my family and just tried to not think about it but at the end of the day it's, it's the pinnacle of, of anyone's rugby career and you know whenever you, you, you hope and, and pray that, you, that you're close you know you're close and you hope you're going to be on that plane and then when, you, when you're told you're not you know it's obviously disappointing but you know unfortunately you know this sport that, that I love so much has given me a lot of highs and, and unfortunately with highs there come lows and you just have to take them and try to roll with it as best you can. I'm not going to talk too much about the rights and wrongs of the omission, but before I ask you all about your own experiences of what it's like to try and recover from something like this, Neil, it doesn't, as the week goes on, make any sense that Rory Best didn't make it. Everybody we speak to has been, Rory Best should be in it. The Australians say it. Uh, even the old Australians who kind of hate Europe say it. Yeah, it, uh, I, I was quite surprised with, uh, with the way Gatland chose the team. Uh, normally he's his own man, but this was smacked of political expediency, appeasement, and and quotas. So prior to the the team being picked, most of the UK English um, commentators and pundits were saying five, six max, you know, English players. Yeah. Teams announced suddenly there's ten. 
So I'm pretty sure, and particularly after what Gatland had said earlier on in the season about you know his his opinion of English players, how they comport themselves, how they play, the type of game they play, he wasn't particularly keen on picking ten of them. I'm fairly certain about that. So where did where did it come from? Uh, it came from Graham Rowntree, and it came from Andy Farrell, and they got their men in. So. I mean, some of them are are beyond comprehension. Like, uh, I don't know whether you've met Dylan Hartley now, but uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion now, an unctuous individual on and off the park. And quite often, you know, the Lions team is happy-clappy and uh, there's a sense of brotherhood and comradeship, and this guy just doesn't fit into that. His darts, not great and not a great ball carrier his discipline terrible discipline I mean makes Jack the Ripper look like uh, you know uh, and he he gets in um, Tom Young's converted centre he is a good player um, his darts aren't great he, he got hauled off twice during the championship because his darts were getting his team into trouble so um they got four. They got four in that I didn't think. You know, Matt Stevens was an unbelievable selection. Yeah, uh, Vunapola. I mean, I watched. I went to Twickenham and I watched Ulster play against Saracens, and I watched John Ford do a, a real number on Vunapola, and I watched uh, Tom Court of all people do a real number on on Matt Stevens. And the the the, the Saracens scrum was an awful trouble that day. Yeah, and these two boys get in. I just, I just don't understand it. So, Roundtree, there, there were certainly, there were, there were, you know, there were these guys aren't going to be test players, and that that's the real tragedy for Rory Best. That, you know, Tom Youngs won't be a test player, and neither will Dylan Hartley. Whereas, if if Rory Best had been brought, he would have challenged for a test player. Yeah, and I think that's all. A, you know, when you when you look at what Gatland, he picked thirty seven players. But really, all he all he wants to do is pick, you know, his twenty two or his twenty three. So he has a he's a test side. That's all he cares about, you know, win of the test series. Yeah. And the, the the bag holders and the you know the guys who are just you know maybe hardly causes trouble midweek and takes some of the uh, tension away from the, the the test team. Well, I don't know. There's a, a bit of Machiavellian madness to it. There, there isn't. And I, I feel I feel sorry for uh, I feel sorry for Best. I rather uncharitably. I think I'm not sure whether it was the England game or the Scotland game, but he he, he overthrew four uh, throws, which that's four turnovers. Yeah. And I just said he couldn't throw rice at a wedding, and uh, you know maybe maybe Catlin picked up on it. I don't I don't know, uh, but you know it's it seen that nobody. You know, nobody is too. Um, you know, they look at, at at his form, which didn't. Are you feeling guilty about that? Is that what? I am. I am. I, look, I, I I respect him, and he's he's a guy who would do a really good job for the Lions. Like he, he's a he's a he's a team leader. Yeah. Uh, he's a guy who just uh, you know embodies again that word brotherhood or whatever else. And you know, he would benefit. The team would benefit from him being there. And it's a he might get there yet, but it's a it's a very strange omission. Yeah, and it's it's actually the, the not being picked is kind of the thing that we want to talk to you guys about and how difficult it is to come to overcome this um, a really public way. Jimmy and Cork has texted in to say I still can't believe the Lions find out who's in the squad the way us plebs do, which is kind of the, it only adds to the sense of humiliation that you must feel in a situation like this. Uh, yes and no. I, I suppose similar to that text I only seen on the Independent during the week that uh, that's the way they find out. 
my initial thought was Jesus that's horrible because the one thing is they've probably come in from a bit of a training session and I'm saying to you I'm saying to Neil or you and you know you're, you're definitely in you have to be you know like you know the way lads yeah. that have the banter themselves so you've got that extra added kind of tension but I suppose for the outside public it makes it really intriguing because the players find out at the exact same time everybody else does so it is a bit like I suppose not to be cliche but Christmas kind of thing because I heard Jamie or uh, yeah Jamie he's yesterday yeah. talking about it and the way he found out it was his sister rang him like, so there is a kind of I suppose a special piece to it but it is a bit I'd say awkward for the likes of Rory Best who has to sit there with friends and find out and you know that awkward kind of pat in the back hard look whereas you know inside he's kind of what did I do wrong or you know who who made the final call on it yeah you, you want to go and be on your own I think and yeah and, and you can't because everybody wants to be there for you and then you can't be you know ignorant to them either and you have to kind of take the, the, the nice text and the nice calls but it's probably killing you as well so uh, very um, even-handed approach from Rory Best there saying look this is this is sport I mean I know it's a horrible cliche but it is ultimately a thing that both thrills and gives you incredible disappointments and he seemed to be able to at least have the strength of character to deal with this I suppose in terms of, of rejection it's how much you build it up yourself and how confident you are that you're, you're going to get a, a place um, and especially the way it's done I mean you talk about it kind of being named and everyone finding out at the same time not quite as bad as the I was watching the NFL draft a couple of weeks ago in America where they kind of the guys that don't show up for the draft they're live on Skype so when round one picks they're there with their family and their friends having this party and next thing they're not selected in round one and they go to the camera on Skype and you just see this misery and this shock because they've hyped themselves up so much um, I, I was wondering Neil actually do you I mean the Lions is an odd concept to me I don't come from a rugby background um, and I've actually never sat down and watched a full Lions match because I, I, I just don't I don't know what I'm supporting in a way but would it be worse to get dropped from a from the Ireland team than not get picked for a Lions or where where would where would those things equate with each other yeah I mean I I, I had my own situation I, I played uh, I was involved in the squad that played against France in 1989 and it was great to, to go I have a Lions jersey at home and a, and a real Lions jersey in the sense that there's no NTL or HSBC it's just you know, unadulterated, just just a red jersey, and it was great. You know, Roger Rutley, Ian McGeeken, and all the guys who had played in Australia. And there was one injury, I got in, and you know, it was it was great. And I, I had a good relationship with McGeeken, and for the '93 side, uh, you know, in the in the in the run up to it, like the Irish team were performing so badly, so the only people they were talking about were Nick Popwell and myself. I got injured for most of the season. I hurt my back. I thought my career was over. And I managed to get back in, got on the bench for a Scotland game, managed to play against France, tore my calf before the Welsh game, and then was on the bench for the England game. And I was talking to one or two of the selectors after the England game, and they just said, you're not in. And uh, I was kind of devastated because I, I didn't get a chance to play. Yeah. Uh, but I knew beforehand, I thought, you know, there might be a, a half a chance. And uh, when they picked, you know, the English were very strong. So they'd Dooley and they'd Bayfield and they'd Martin Johnson. You know, they were all going to go. Uh, but they picked Andy Reid and Damien Cronin. And that really, that really upset me. And Mick Galway got in, you know, and, and they didn't know what to do with Mick because... You know, you, there was no lifting of the lineups there, and so Mick, they didn't know what to do with him, so they played him at blind side, wing forward. You know, they only got a, two or three games, and they did well down there. And I just, I felt, you know, it's, you know, it's great to be, uh, you know, for say ten, the ten seasons that I played for Ireland, you know, sort of for eight of those seasons I was first choice, but then 
there's a different you know a different dimension then you know and you're not you're not sure so even I was sort of thinking well would I have been happy to play on the Wednesday side down there um, I would have like yeah. I mean you, you know it's but the the level it's it really you're, you're saying it's archaic but it's it's what the international players really really you know they aspire to does it surpass representing your country in terms of the highs and lows it brings or it, is it, it equatable it, do, it does if you're if you're you know a, I don't know a, use the term superior player or senior player you know so you play for Ireland and this current bunch have won an awful lot and you know just brings you on to the next level to you know to play alliance uh, I'd, 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 I'd say a, a World Cup is, is a far greater event to play in than, than alliance but it's uh, it's not far you know not far MJ, what about getting dropped? Uh, is it something? <coughs> Thanks, sure. <laughs> <laughs> How have you found it in your career? Uh, sometimes I've took it better than other times, but it, it's it's not easy. And I suppose I was kind of wondering myself coming up in the car, listening to I suppose some of the pieces during the week for Rory Best. Does he want it to go away? and just happen and let the lines happen and put it behind him or is the backing he's getting helping him go yeah you know I probably should be there and at least people recognise that so it's kind of I suppose it's a double edged sword but it's not easy it's, it's not easy at all to be dropped but as much as it's a sour pill to swallow the only way you get back is completely dust off the shackles and go I need to show everybody why I should be there or why I should be back in the frame anyway. so you use it as motivation you have to you don't for the first time when you get the news you really don't it's 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 really tough to take and, and you kind of come into yourself and those pats on the back are not they're not condescending and they know you're, you know your friends mean it but you're just like just leave me alone Like I, and especially if you feel you should be playing yeah. but you have to leave that behind you and it, it, it took me a while and I suppose as I got a bit older playing it got a bit easier to realise that but you just have to put it behind you or you won't get back in the frame. And would you be a good man to argue your case, even when the decision is made, or do you accept that actually that probably makes things worse? No, I'd rather argue my case when I get back in. I'd rather go back to it then, because the manager's made his decision, he's the manager, or the coaches have made their decision, that's final, and they think that's the best team to take the field. So arguing your case at that stage, I don't think is any of any benefit. It just seems sour from your own point of view. Work hard, get back in the frame, and then maybe when you're back in the mix, be able to say, you know, now that's why I don't think I should have played or not played, you know, that sort yeah. of way. Well, with Best as well, though, it must be a huge range of emotions because A, he's to stay positive now. Secondly, an injury or two and he could still end up going out there. And then if you go out late, do you feel like a second-class citizen? Do you feel like you're going into a group that have rejected you? Um, and yet you have to still stay positive even through that to play some of the hardest games of your life. So, I mean, it's, it must be a ferociously difficult situation to, to stay positive well, through. The, uh, it's, it's like a mercury tilt switch. You know, so one minute you're in. You know, if you're say on an Irish team, and you have a bad performance, and the news comes, and you know all your friends are there, and you're gone, and it, it you know, you're just a leper, and it doesn't matter how many hands come out and and how much, you know, they slap you on the back and sort of say, look, it, you know, it'll be okay, and that's that's one of the things that best. He, but he he's ne- he hasn't been a lion before. And uh, it, it's not it, it's not that he's been there and he's dropped. He just didn't get in the first yeah. place. So it was interesting. He said that nobody could look him in the eye. And uh, Dan too. He seems like he's a man. He came up and shook his hand and said, "I'm sorry for your troubles." Uh, at least there was kind of somebody who could have that level of communication with him, which I, I thought was interesting. That well, somebody has to do it, uh, Jerry. You know. So uh, were well, you dropped over your ten years? At, at, like, or was it mostly through injury that you wouldn't have been picked? Yeah, mostly through. Through injury, and then the 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 final the final nail came, and they just said, "I said, game is changing, and you're 
more trouble than you're worth see ya and that was it <laughs> and that was a full stop complete there was yeah. no no way back I know I, I got a <clears throat> I got a letter to sort of say look uh, you know there are if you know there's injuries you know we will certainly and I was on the bench uh, you know for one of the matches and then yeah, I was 32, 33 and I just said thanks very much yeah I had a great time see ya it's pretty brutal when it happens at the end Oh, it is, you know, and, and for for guys, you know, who 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 know they're not going to play again, you know, and and there are plenty of guys there who get capped early in their career, and they know they're never going to get picked again, you know, and even quite a few from this uh, from this uh, season. Yes, yeah. I would suggest. We'll, we'll wait and see which ones you're talking about. <laughs> Five three one zero six is the text number. We've got to take a quick break, but we're uh, we're going to stick with this panel for more discussion. We've got loads more to come right after these. News Talk Sport, Saturday. In association with UPC, the Fibre Power Network bringing you all the action in HD. We're going to run you through all the news from the uh, League Championship in a little while. There's about five minutes left in almost all of the games, apart from the one which uh, involves Watford and Leeds, which had a 16 to 18 minute stoppage at the end of the first half. It's still one all in that game, and ultimately that won't matter if Hull can see out the final four minutes against Cardiff because they lead by two goals to one. It turns out that it could well be Paul McShane who scores the goal that gets Hull promoted automatically from the Championship to the Premier League. So I'm sure he'll have uh, a decent summer if that is the case. Um, and if there's any changes in those, we'll let you know in the meantime. Uh, let's uh, let's just <laughs> let's just play a little bit of something that we wanted you to have a listen to. I would like to congratulate both teams on a fine game and we wish Tyrone the best for the championship. Three cheers for Tyrone. That's it. Uh, one of the great GA speeches there from Stephen Cluxton at Croke Park last weekend. Uh, MJ, you've obviously played with Stephen Cluxton, so it wasn't such a remarkable thing for you to hear his voice. No, uh, that's been really, really overplayed, and I suppose it's it's what we're, you're coming to later in the show. And in fairness to a lot of journalists, they don't have a lot to work with, so they kind of clutch at straws. And and that Stephen not speaking thing was a massive piece. But she heard him. He took the cup, and he, he showed what it meant to him. He's delighted to win it. Dublin delighted to win it, but. Nothing's won at this stage of the year. Like. He uh, legendarily doesn't hang around for the trophy presentation, so he doesn't know that the guy who's making the speech is actually supposed to do the hip-hip for the three hip-hip hoorays. It's like, if you haven't seen it done before, maybe you're not really sure how it works. Is that every sport, or is that just GAA? <laughs> I think it's, it's just, just It's so, like, get out the cadet orange, so, or, you know, like, <laughs> hip-hip hooray. I mean, get rid of that now. Like, you know, if we were happy enough with it. Uh, you and you were writing this week uh, on uh, the Aircom Sports blog that the GAA needs to really seriously look at um, its interaction with the media and that it's missing a serious trick um, yeah I mean there's, there's a few aspects to that in a sense the media are to blame for accepting this press conference culture where some player shows up for 10 minutes gets a couple of hundred quid to say nothing and you huddle around and, and I mean that fills papers I, the odd morning I go to the gym I bring the newspapers with me I do a half an hour cycle and they don't last me that long the sports pages a lot of days it's 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 crap a lot of it you know I mean it's just a oh that'll be a tough game they're a good side oh we're not looking past this match it's, it's cliche filled rubbish so it is but the problem for journalists is um, and more and more this is a recent thing over the last three or four years is is getting access to players um, and it's got to the stage where a lot of journalists I know don't even bother making a call anymore because it's it's a week of humiliation of leaving guys message after message and they don't have the decency to even text you or ring you back with a no um, which you almost celebrate at this stage because you're not just completely ignored and, and, and looked down on. Uh, a friend of mine this week in another newspaper rang me. Uh, he was saying he was doing a piece on the evolution of goalkeeping 
and he rang a certain goalkeeper he just wanted a couple of lines off him uh, and the goalkeeper started into a story and that said actually no you better call my manager turns out he had to email the manager who emailed him back and said no we're, we're not talking again and they've shut up shop for the year they won't be doing any interviews with the media outside the press conference circuit and most counties now are like that um, a, a big selling point of the GAA was always that it was it was it was different. I mean, these were guys that live amongst us that are like us, uh, that we know. And I, I would ask the question of any county fan: What do you actually know about the players who play on your team nowadays, especially the top teams? You know nothing about them. They're soulless robots who don't exist outside the GEA picture. Are they not entitled to a certain privacy though? Like it's not actually any of my business what they get up to in their spare time. No, but what I would say with top GEA players, this has to work both ways and there's this great myth out there that top GEA players get nothing. They play the sport solely for the love of the game and they get nothing back. That's absolute rubbish. Most of them will get jobs out of it. They'll get scholarships out of it. Uh, they'll get promotional stuff out of it um, and it has to work both ways I saw Bernard Brogan show up in the Irish Independent doing a piece this morning that was more like an advertisement for a um, for a PR company and sports agency he wants to set up and he's talking about the brand of the GEA now that's all well and good but Bernard can't at one stage go and do a piece with the media selling himself and then ignore them when they want him and the media should know better as well I mean there's an interaction there well sorry he can he can control that if he wants to surely well the media what? should know better you can't give you have you can't can't just take you have to give something back as well you can't just but, but use what, sorry, the media in, in, sorry, let's just stick on the specifics of this one instance so what, what Bernard Brogan does is I haven't read the piece I don't know which paper it's in but it's a piece saying I'm going into business which is it's a business he's already set up and he decides to have a, a story and give access to somebody and how they use that interview is up to them. I'm not blaming him, I'm blaming the media in this regard that it has to be give and take and the media shouldn't go promoting people who won't return a call a lot of the time. I'm not saying he's one of those but this is happening more and more and while you can overstate the importance of the media and hugely in all of this you can understate it as well um, and in fairness to the media they do have the role in hyping up games and getting crowds in these guys get to play in front of bigger crowds become become heroes to more through the media and they can't just use it and give nothing back uh, which is happening more and more I've, I've rang one manager this year I've made 54 calls to him and he hasn't returned one of them now you might say I'm, I'm annoying him leave it be but hang on a minute I'm an adult he's an adult and when did he become so high and mighty that he can't have the dignity and decency to return a call the, the number definitely works, yeah? It, it does. Uh, because he used to ring me on it when he was looking for that particular job. He used to ring me uh, and give out about the manager and give lines so that the manager would get sacked. Uh, Ralph from Waterford says, the thing is GA players don't need the media anymore. They can control their own publicity through social media, etc. MJ, what do you think of this? Uh, it's it's both-sided. It, I do see where you're coming from, and that has crept in, and it's been coming in the last couple of years, but it's not it's not players and management-led. It's it's The GA are allowing that to happen. They can put their, I suppose, their oar in somewhat and try and intervene and, and try and you know make management and players more accessible for the betterment of the game. Like, what Bernard's doing is is ideal for him. He's, he's able to court the media when he needs because of who he is, and in your instance, when you look for him before the league final, you can't get him so in, in one sense what's he got to lose like he gets that attention when he needs it and then when he doesn't want it when he wants to concentrate in a game himself or maybe the, the management want him to he's got that ability as well but I do see where you're coming from I, I don't get this fear of the media though of okay if, if one outlet as I've often said if in America if one guy or one newspaper crosses the line they're kicked out of the locker room here with the GEA the media is one and you're, someone said there about kind of social networking and stuff I mean that's all well and good what can you say in 140 characters I'm talking about getting to know people about there's some great characters some great stories 
in GEA, but they're been they're not allowed to be told anymore. And it's not like they'd hurt the player. It's not intruding into their private life. It's not kind of looking for gossip or dirt. It's storytelling. It's a bit of fun. It's a game with characters that has kind of moved on to another level where just there's no access anymore, which makes it a little bit boring. Well, on on social media, I'd have to interject there and say I think that's Twitter has been fantastic for sports fans alike because every every sports player, I suppose, that's prominent enough for, or every sports player that that wants to I suppose see what other athletes do is on Twitter and there you know you get to, even myself I find you get to interact with a lot of other intercounty players that you wouldn't normally you know and, and you start to see you know they're doing things similar to what I'm doing or what we're doing and it does give you that insight that's not there because it's not there through the papers anymore which it would have been now in some cases it might have been I suppose taken advantage of a couple of years ago when it was a bit a bit more lax but if you look back to what happened with Kevin Cassidy and Jim McGuinness that probably has put a, I suppose a, a cosh on players and management alike where players are like you know I, I'm not, I don't want to get caught in that instance in case I say something wrong but you find most players now when they do an interview will be respectful enough for the other team not to say something wrong but even as a journalist I'd sit down with the player I don't care what he thinks about another player or another team because they know he's not going to say anything I, I want to sit down and I want to know what makes him tick I want to know what goes through his head I want to I want to hear some stories some anecdotes have some fun hear the bad times the good times and fair enough Twitter offers a certain amount or social media offers a certain amount but I don't think it's comparable what a player writes in 140 characters to Paul Kimmage sitting down with you and writing 4,000 words I mean there's a huge difference yeah and, uh, but the, the papers don't want those 4,000 words interviews anymore and look where the papers are headed yeah I, I, that's probably part of the reason for it as well a point here Sean Lestowell makes one of the reasons why some, so many young people rather are picking up rugby instead of Gaelic football is because there was a generation of fascinating personalities like Brian O'Driscoll and Ron O'Gara who were constantly in the media and yet they're all very carefully stage managed Neil that uh, they're made available for press conferences or indeed for product launches for which they're paid and yet we do feel like we know them and, and I think that there's probably a difference and maybe it's because there's a longevity in their careers but um, I wouldn't say that rugby has a is a, an open door policy to all comers in the media either it doesn't feel that way yeah um, I mean they, they, they're very aware of it and all of your PRO side of the of the house are, are very, you know, the amount of, of time that's put into uh, working with players and making them a lot more media savvy. And I mean, every I, I'm, I'm sure after every team meeting or on a, on a weekly or monthly basis, all the players are kind of coached into, you know, there might be something coming forward and they're told exactly how to handle it as a as a as, as a squad. I mean, I look at it and you, you look at the you look at the newspapers and it's a very archaic formula where you see, you know, you see a, a big spread on a player, whether it's a GAA or a soccer player or a rugby player, and you see this kind of oblique photograph and you know, sort of weird, like a slightly obtuse, you know, sort of angle, and then and you scan it and you just say, oh, I've wasted ten minutes of my life reading this crap. You know, and, and really, I, I mean, I think maybe sort of sports editors at this stage would sort of say, look, what's the point in, in sending out some of our, our journalists to cover this guy, even though he might be the new kid on the block? Because yeah. it really, it's it's worse than wallpaper. It's rubbish. Not all crap, though. I mean, that, that comes down to the journalist. If, it you're does. Good, if you're good enough, you'll find something. And maybe they're sending the wrong journalists out to do those interviews if it is crap. Because well, um, everyone has a story yeah. and it's up to the journalist to get that story. Yeah. That story might not necessarily be best told by the person themselves. Like sometimes these yeah. feature pieces... No. Oh, but you make I mean I any time I'd write 
a piece I spend a week on it I spend three days researching it a day making phone calls around that guy a day meeting him a day transcribing it and a day writing it I mean that's what you should do as, as an interviewer um, again not everybody has a week to dedicate to it though that's the other difficulty here that people no but if it's not worth 3,000 words then it shouldn't be given 3,000 words and I, I mean okay if you're reading crap with that picture that's fair enough but there are still very good interviews and I don't think it's a completely archaic format when there are people out there who are still good at it I mean I don't think I bring up Paul Kimmage again or you bring up Paul Howard back in the day I mean I, I never read an interview of theirs that was that was dull no, but that's a totally different story. We're talking about good quality journalists sitting down with people and spending a long time in their company and getting to the essence of that person. That's irregardless of whether or not that's a GEA person. Like that, That's not... I mean, that's a completely different issue from saying that the GEA players have stopped doing these no, interviews. No, but, you are, but what, 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 it is, but what you're saying in, in a way is, Asher, what's the point in sitting down because they're going to say nothing anyhow? No, I'm, no, the, the, the point is that the, most of the stuff that we're getting now is that the media management and training that goes on for these players is so good that the and the fear of saying anything that ultimately you find that the vast majority of them are these puff pieces well I think a lot of the puff pieces come out of press conferences um, where there's 10 people huddled around a guy for, for, for two or three minutes and everybody might get one question in and there's no room for a follow up question whereas the good stuff comes out of a one on one where if a guy makes a comment you have time with them to interject and say hang on here explain that show me don't tell me uh, whereas the puff stuff does come out of out, out of press conference culture, I think there can be a lot more work done on that just in our own sport anyway. Because the one thing I would say is, from a journalist's point of view, it should be clear enough to you guys that you know during the I suppose March to whenever you finish the championship season most players are going to have a focus on one thing and management and the one reason that started to creep in in, in GAA anyway but in every sport you'll see it in, in rugby as well when they're doing interviews and it's the cliche tough game you know expect a lot their forwards are playing well what it is is players just kind of in a zone and they don't want to slip up so you know if it was managed better from a point of view that players had to be made accessible during the championship at certain times and then in the off season that's free rim, free win, <coughs> excuse me free window for journalists to maybe try and get them and try and get them in a different zone because when you're playing and when you're you know competing and you're training at the highest level you're not thinking about you know anything else you're not thinking about giving an entertaining story so you've got a window maybe between whenever the championship is finished to closer to the build up again to maybe actually catch a decent piece with them and get a bit of an insight but not, not that it's your job to give an entertaining story it's my job to get an entertaining story and, and I mean just one example I remember ringing Michael Quinn of Longford who I mean Longford have been a real success story over the last couple of years this guy's one of the best footballers in the country I rang him up chatted away about Australia life down there about coming home he chatted away he went out on the Sunday and had a great game I mean that's, that's no I wasn't asking about the opposition I wasn't asking him about who's going to win this or that I wanted to know about him he gave me an hour and a half no problem Yeah, Neil what was it like when rugby turned professional was there a sense then did that change rapidly or was it a kind of a feeling out process for the professional newly professional game I want to just answer that in a, in a, in a minute. Just MJ, how many how many profile pieces did you have you done in your career so far? Uh, I I couldn't tell you to be honest. Too, too many. A few on different things, depending on if you know. When I transferred clubs, there was a couple of pieces. When Leash, you know, were playing before Leinster finals, there might have been a few pieces, and then just kind of depending on what was current in the sport, there was people who maybe seen. You know, he might have something to say on it. So, but I've done a few. But I think, I think it's starting to come, and maybe that interestingly enough, it might be might have been similar in rugby. GA has become 
a lot more professional in the last 10 years. So management's attitude towards media and players in that regard has become a lot more professional. Whereas previously it might have been a bit more lax and it was a direct contact with the player who was maybe, you know, on a, you know, in his day job when you caught him, yeah, I can catch you for 10 or 15 minutes for a chat. Whereas now it's a lot more structured. So when rugby turned professional they had no choice they had to be accessible to the media because there was big sponsorships there was big brands looking for them to launch things so people had to put you know media professionals in place to coach these guys to be able to speak to the media and now you've got this complete insight into players where you find out what they're like what their preparation is like what they're like as people whereas in the GA it's gotten really really professional you're training five six nights a week and you just don't want to lose your kilter by being focused on something else outside of it which is not I suppose fair to guys who are trying to do their job as well I, I, I found one of the things that, and there was a, a, a huge amount of distrust that I, that I found so I'd meet uh, particularly Irish journalists and you know I, I think a lot of it came down to the, the old cliche about you know so I'd talk for two hours or whatever else and I thought the stuff that I was giving these guys was really excellent I thought I was very quotable I was very articulate loquacious and able to get a very interesting story across that was that was me and the amount of times you know either where you know the the, the guy's job was to separate the wheat from the chaff and, and he prints the chaff you know <laughs> I couldn't and that's not you know sort of I gave him some really good stuff and this is the best that he that he can come up with so I, I found that on one level uh, not distressing but you know the fact that they get it so badly wrong you know the, the material there was so good and they come out with you know pretty low grade interview then you know where somebody doesn't like you and you know you, you, you come across and you know they really they duff you and that's happened that's happened across the spectrum like where in, in every sport you get duffed you do an interview and this guy takes a certain spin on you and he puts across something that just isn't you and that that was something that I found also disturbing and you know a, a, you know a couple of times as well where you know you you, you just don't under the guy doesn't understand you at all yeah and a variety of things and I, I found it I, I didn't trust any of the uh, any of the Irish journalists and I found it just very difficult to relate to them a lot of them didn't like me and is that why you ultimately went into the same? The same no, thing, is it? No, like, we, like we, men we mentioned Kimmage, you know, and, and, and it it sort of came down to it. And, and in the World Cup in not 87 and 91, and uh, it was very funny, you know, Vincent Brown uh, had just taken on Paul Kimmage, who had just done his book, and, you know, he was a bright, bright young kid on the block, and he, he was doing very well. And they wanted, the Tribune wanted a, uh, a player diary. And... Um, he went and asked all the senior players like Donald Lenehan, Philip Matthews, Brendan Mullen, Des Fitzgerald, uh, Keith Crossan, and they all just said, no. And he went back to, to Vincent Brown and he said, uh, look, they all said, no, what are we going to do? And I said, well, don't ask those guys. All you're going to get is name, rank, and serial number. You know, you get nothing. Ask the lunatic, you know, playing number five. And so they asked me and I, I didn't want to do it. And uh, eventually then Kane Reid said, I said, oh, come on do it and there was a few quid so I said okay we'll yeah. do it was uh, Ken Reid was the manager he was the manager yeah. at that stage and didn't really want to do it and Kimmage for people that know him is very intrusive and he's in your face and he got a very you know a very good idea of what was going on what it was like in camp in the World Cup you know for six seven weeks and the stuff was brilliant it was raw it was very very honest it was very very funny 
and it worked a treat and you talked to David Walsh or Paul Kimmage and they said, I said those pieces that you did for the 91 World Cup were just fantastic and he got me and he, he has a rare skill Kimmage and it's, it's one of the things like I mean that he's not you know that he's not with the Sunday Times anymore which is extremely uh, unfortunate for, for everybody because he was very good maybe those three or four thousand but his ability to get in to the psyche of a you know of, of an athlete yeah uh, you know and somebody where he, where he got good material he was very good at translating that onto into, into ink it's an interesting issue though about um, getting paid for this kind of stuff uh, you and I mean I remember we had um, Colin Parkinson in a while back on one of these panels and he was like well why why shouldn't I get paid to do this I'm going to fill two pages of your newspaper and the guy who's talking to me is getting paid to do it and actually it's my story that's selling the, the thing and there is a part of the, the world that has moved on from I'm going to give you my story for nothing here because I have to promote the game yeah, there is, and there is a balance to be struck there as well. I'm not saying guys shouldn't get anything, um, but I'm saying that if everything is this press conference stuff, that people just won't read it, because it doesn't benefit anyone. It doesn't benefit the reader, it doesn't benefit the newspaper, it doesn't do the player justice because he looks boring and bland, and ultimately he won't do the sport much good. Um, so no, nobody wins on that note uh, we're going to wrap it up today just to let you know that Hull are celebrating uh, Cardiff did equalise with a 90th minute penalty so they've finished two all but uh, Watford have been unable to secure a late winner themselves so Hull go up automatically Watford are in the playoffs we're going to run you through all of the permutations after the ad break well, my thanks to our panel thanks guys for joining us today thanks News Talk Sport Saturday in association with UPC, the fibre power network with true on demand TV.